Welcome to CR Crime, a podcast about true crime tales as they happen here in New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt. It's getting to be that time of year, gang. This weekend, when this episode drops, will be Halloween. All over the capital region and certainly here in the rolling hills of Saratoga County, as in most other parts of the country, if I had to take a wager, little kids will be going around houses and neighborhoods throughout the area in costume asking for candy. So I figured, well, this tale of true crime that premiered last year, episode four as a matter of fact, tells about a crime that thankfully doesn't involve children, but did take place on Halloween weekend 45 years ago, almost to the exact day. It's one of the most infamous crimes in the history of New York's capital region and one of the more infamous shootouts in Saratoga County history. It all took place just a few miles down the road from Bullet House. We will revisit that episode remastered slightly by yours truly, and we'll get to it right now. Situated on the west bank of the Hudson River, Mechanicville is one of only two cities in Saratoga County, and by far the smallest in terms of population. For comparison's sake, your narrator's beloved hometown of Saratoga Springs has six times as many people. Just a hair over 5,000 people make this city their home. The city's name is derived from the occupation of those who first settled here in the early 19th century. Textile mills and factories soon sprouted, and by the turn of the 20th century, the village, which later became a city in 1915, boasted 10,000 residents, which provided a boon to the city's glory days. The city also boasted the world's largest paper mill, which shut down in 1971 after 67 years in business. Today, it looks much like any upstate New York community, the marks of past glories lingering. On a side note, two decades after the crime which we will discuss, an EF3 tornado ravaged the northern part of Mechanicville and the neighboring town of Stillwater. Not too long after the paper mill closure came an egregious act of crime involving a disgruntled hardware store employee, a long-closed watering hole, and a handful of innocent victims. Every year, the night before Halloween, otherwise known as either Devil's Night or Mischief Night, depending on where you live, is a night filled with pranks ranging from covering trees with toilet paper to worse is setting abandoned homes on fire. While the city of Detroit, Michigan, once a powerhouse of industry, can truly lay claim as the hub of such heinous acts disguised as innocent mischief, a small city in upstate New York saw a crime that cannot be labeled as such on Devil's Night, 1976. According to the New York Times, it was another Saturday night on the banks of the Hudson. As it was the night before Halloween, as we've already established, children were out with their parents carrying buckets in search of candy, and in costume, mind ye. Others had stopped over for dinner after attending Mass at the nearby St. Paul's Roman Catholic Church. On a side note, the following year, it would merge with Assumption Church down the street, and in 2011, joined forces with St. Peter's Church in nearby Stillwater to become the All Saints on the Hudson Parish. The McCannickville location now serves as its South Church. But it was on that fateful night when a number of people, 
some of whom were dressed in costume, were hanging out at a local watering hole named Joyce's Log Cabin to partake in both holiday weekend revelry and another Saturday night out on the town. Meanwhile, a mentally disturbed man was getting ready to tear those people's lives asunder with an array of gun blasts from across the street. Kenyon William Billy Prine, the perpetrator, had a long battle with his demons dating back to childhood. He was known as having staged battles in the woods with a 22 caliber rifle during his childhood, and his problems continued after his discharge from the United States Marine Corps during the Vietnam War when he waged an unsuccessful battle with the bottle, this following a battle with the Viet Cong. At the time, Prine had previously worked in a hardware store in Mechanicville, only to be given the sack from his job sometime earlier. On a side note, and there are plenty of these in this episode you can tell, the last name of Prine is visible in both Mechanicville and the nearby town of Half Moon, where yours truly makes his home. In fact, the road leading to Mechanicville from Bullet House is named Prine Hill Road. Further afield, there's the Finch Prine paper plant in South Glens Falls, but that's all by the by. The staged gun battles in Prine's childhood and alcoholism in his teenage years, to say nothing of the drying up of the family fortune upon his birth, cast a sad pall on a life that was destined for privilege, as Billy was born into one of the most prosperous families in town at the time, and one of the oldest. The elder Prine died of a heart attack while driving by himself from vacation at the family's cottage up north, sometime after the Prine mill closed. This is likely the same paper mill mentioned at the top of this episode, by the way. Soon after, Prine the Younger's mother passed away. Prine was also suffering from domestic issues stemming from his marriage to his high school sweetheart, Rosemary, whom he married in 1966 during his hitch in the Marines. At around a quarter past nine o'clock in the evening, on October 30, 1976, gunshots started ringing out from the nearby Kennedy Gardens apartments on North Main Street. Ninety minutes of terror, which were initially thought to be someone shooting off fireworks, were underway. Paul Luther, a part-time officer of the Mechanicville Police Department, who was enrolled in the criminology program at Hudson Valley Community College and had aspirations of being a cop full-time, quickly rushed towards the scene of panic. Luther, at only the tender age of 21, was gunned down and immediately died of shots to his head. He had drawn Prine's ire sometime before the shooting when he had issued him a speeding ticket. According to the Albany Times Union, Prime relayed his moves to the parole board years later as, quote, a spontaneous impulsive explosion of rage, end quote. Luther was a well-known member of the Mechanicville community and during his high school days was a star basketball player. The auditorium at that same high school, as well as a neighborhood playground on the south side of town, both bear his name as a tribute to a law guardian who gave his all to protect his community. It didn't take very long for the shots to enter Joyce's log cabin. John Marsh Jr., a 51-year-old patron, was hit twice by bullets from Prine's double-barreled shotgun. The first hit came as he was minding his own business and joined the night, and the second came as he took cover behind the cigarette machine in the back. This was the time when such things existed. Marsh died upon arrival at Memorial Hospital in nearby Albany. John Gonnelly, one of Luther's colleagues, 
was shot in the face after his patrol car pulled up behind Joyce's. Connolly, 36 at the time, was taken to Albany Medical Center for treatment of shots to the face. He was left without the use of an eye, though he survived. Over an hour into the shootout, the officers threw a canister of tear gas into Prime's apartment, where the latter had been holed up firing away at passersby, as though North Main Street was his own personal shooting gallery. His wife and two daughters, thankfully, were away from the scene. The wife was at a bingo game and had dropped the children off at her parents' house earlier. The tear gas canister had set the apartment ablaze and left other residents in the apartment complex, not to mention those living in nearby buildings, caught in the crossfire, fearing for their lives. At 10.43 p.m., roughly an hour and a half after the shooting began, Prine was apprehended. New York State Troopers, Saratoga County Sheriffs, and the city police cornered Prine, forced him to surrender, took him into custody, and subjected him to questioning at the state police barracks in the town of Malta. Mechanicville police sounded a foghorn to alert frightened citizens that the sniper had been taken into custody. In all, both Luther and Marsh were killed and nine others were injured, all of whom were transported to the present-day eyesore, that was Leonard Hospital, down the Hudson in Troy. In the early hours of Halloween morning, WTEN, then the CBS affiliate, now ABC affiliate in the Capital Region, broke into late-night programming, such as it was in the mid-1970s, to air a special report on the shooting. For more than an hour tonight, a Mechanicville man held police and civilians at bay during a shootout in the heart of the city of Mechanicville. A police officer and a civilian are now dead. It was nearly 90 minutes before police from several agencies were able to capture the sniper pulled up in a three-story apartment house. John McLaughlin, long a stalwart of television news reporting in the area, interviewed one of those on the scene who was caught in the resultant crossfire. Okay, how did you get shot again? I walked out the door to see what was happening. I heard some people scream. Everybody started running. I ran out the door, and then this guy was just loading shots off. Buckshot. I got hit with it, and I hit the floor. I hit behind two cars. I went in the back door of Joyce's, way down back. You were coming out of Joyce's Tavern, right? Coming out to see what happened. What was the scene like inside Joyce's? People were people were hitting the ground pretty much. They were going pretty well, you know. That's penetrating. Kenyon Prine was convicted of 37 felonies upon his arrest, including first-degree manslaughter for the murder of Officer Luther, which put him on the list for the death penalty. All told, Prine had fired off 300 shots during the shootout. John Wallace, a Mechanicville police officer and former classmate of Prine's, was quoted that the latter yelled, Come and get me, during the barrage of gunfire. While mass shootings would ultimately make headlines years before the COVID-19 pandemic, Events of this magnitude rarely made headlines in the mid-1970s anywhere in the United States, let alone upstate New York. The following June, a jury was assembled for Prine's trial. Edward McMahon asked potential jurors about whether the shootings had come about due to quote-unquote alcoholic blackouts, again see bottle, comma, battle with. In the end and at the last minute, Prine decided he'd rather rot in jail than be executed. A smart move given that six months earlier over in Utah, serial killer Gary Gilmore met his end by firing squad after the U.S. Supreme Court lifted a moratorium on capital punishment. Prime pled guilty to charges of second-degree murder and the aforementioned charge of first-degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison at the Great Meadow Correctional Facility in Comstock, Washington County. Prime, now 76 years of age, 
has been denied parole every time his name has come up before the board, most recently on June 19, 2019. He will be eligible for parole again in June 2021. Joyce's Log Cabin, a massive by mechanical standards bar, was torn down in 2004 after many years' vacancy, leaving a vacant lot which stands to this very day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Crime, the only podcast dedicated to true crime in New York's capital region. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also check out the more lighthearted Keep It To Yourself podcast, of which this podcast is an offshoot as established at the top of the show. Both podcasts are available on the same feed. You can get them on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. You can also listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your platform of choice. By the way, check out the Keep It To Yourself podcast 100th episode, which dropped last Friday. As always, my name is Jason Bullitt, your host. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Stay safe out there. And thus ends yet another episode of CR Crime, the only podcast that tells tales of true crime as they happen in New York's capital region. I've been your host, Jason Bullitt. Thanks for listening. Be safe out there, and I'll talk to you again real soon.